Hello everyone, this is Michael Schrett, military aerospace historian and private pilot, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, and we're glad to have you with us today. Government UFO revelations and whistleblowers with one of MUFON's board of directors, Rob Swiatek. Episode 68 of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, live edition. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, where we explore the unexplained and mysterious phenomena that have occurred throughout the state of Michigan and beyond. From UFO sightings to ghostly encounters, we delve deep into the stories, the evidence, and the theories behind these strange events. We are your hosts. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. We are an educator duo that after an encounter with a triangular UFO in 2018 in Michigan, we decided to investigate UFOs and the paranormal. In this podcast, we will be speaking with eyewitnesses, experts, and researchers to uncover the truth about some of the most intriguing cases of paranormal activity in and around Michigan. Our goal is not to convince anyone of the existence of these phenomena, but rather to provide a platform for discussion and exploration. So, buckle up and join us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. On an escalator. And we are live. Welcome, everyone, to another live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Today is the 29th of September, 2023, and it is time to get settled in on this Friday evening as we get ready to bring on our guest for this evening, Rob Switek, who sits on the MUFON Board of Directors and is a UFO researcher himself. But first, let me bring on my lovely wife, co-host, and the bird of prey of the live chat, Michelle. I love being called the bird of prey. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you are the bird I, of I prey. I really do. <laughs> yep. Uh, your students uh, notice that, that you are the bird of prey. I know, when I can like look and smile at them and then all of a sudden catch something out of the corner of my eye and it's like, whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, who threw that? <laughs> All right. For those of you listening to this at a later date on your favorite podcasting platform, you can catch this show live uh, and participate in the live chat. We currently stream on YouTube and we're now back on Twitter or now known as X. And we stream live to Facebook at the same time. We have some of the best live chats on this topic around. So come on in and enjoy the live show. If you are here with us live after the live stream, we will be releasing the audio of the show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Radio Public, Google Podcast, Audible, and many others. And just as a side note, we seem to be getting a weird echo coming back from Rob when we bring him on. So we're going to try to talk a little quietly so but rob sounds great coming back to us so once you bring we bring him on you'll see what we're talking about here michelle what do we got going on for hellos talking quietly i mean so i mean you can only do so much this is live live uh not tv live live streaming so this is the things that happen 
Um, well, obviously, we've got to give some quick hellos to we've got Rick Davis with us. We've got Mike J. We've got Straw Dog and Girl in the Desert. A quick hello. I know that she uh, had to jump off for a little bit, but she'll know that we said hello. Yep. So and thank you all for spending your Saturday night with us. There's some folks that are watching the live, but they seem to be a little quiet right now. That's okay. Yep. You are allowed to watch. Yep. As the. But this live show and podcast happens because of the viewers and listeners of the show and your amazing support. If you would like to help support the show, you can send donations via Super Chat, Super Stickers, PayPal, or become a YouTube member. You can also visit our merch store and join our Patreon. You can find all those links below in the show description. However, Michelle, what's the best way that people can support our show? Um, well, obviously they can like share and subscribe yes 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 and don't forget leave a comment below um after the show we love reading those and we do read them all and take everything you uh tell us into account especially if you want us to get on any specific guest well we've got a couple more folks who have joined us uh hello and welcome to 11 black lamb and we've also got uh gary he would love to be able to change his user <laughs> id it sounds like yeah that's so, what he says yeah gary we know it's you all right well welcome gary um good seeing you and uh let's see oh we need to give uh a couple of shout outs to our patreon members we have Tabin r and Hava H and Lisa B. But then we also have our brand new YouTube members that just recently joined Diane Boss, Ghost Dragon ZW. We have Paula Faust, Girl in the Desert, and Lisa Bowden. So Lisa's a, a hardcore supporter. She's not only a YouTube member, she's also a Patreon member. And I was going to say, give her a few minutes, she'll be here. Yeah. And also, we need to give a special shout out to our t-shirt giveaway winner. So over the last couple of weeks, we had some t-shirts to give away. And those winners were Lisa Bowden, Girl in the Desert, Guy Merritt, and Mike J. And they always say, you know, show us the pictures or it didn't happen. Well, okay, let's go ahead and show you some pictures here. Let's see. Here's Mike J's picture. He sent. A picture of just his shirt, but it showed up. Looks good. And then let's see, who else do we have? Oh, look at this guy. I wonder who this is. That's look. the grumpy get off my lawn guy. <laughs> it's Guy Merritt. <laughs> Absolutely. I think this is from Pine Knob at a ZZ Top concert. Yep, he just was not at the concert. Yeah. And then we have one of our newest members. Girl in the hey. desert. She's literally in the desert out in Arizona. And then Lisa, I think, made uh, her son uh, model this for everybody. So there's Lisa's shirt. <laughs> so <laughs> there we go. I think she said, uh, throw this on and wear this for this picture. So. <laughs> well, he's smiling at least. He's yeah. not sitting there with like a horrible grimace right. on his face. Right. Like, mom, speaking, why are you doing this to me? Speaking of Guy Merritt, Guy is just logged on and joined us. Hey, hey guy. guy. Yeah. Did you see your picture, Guy? We we put it up for you in, in your shirt. So. <laughs> 
Mike, that's okay. You had the the fence behind, so at least it's you know it wasn't here at the house, and you had greenery. Yeah. So. Yeah, looked good. I, you know what? I think Mike was invisible in that shirt. I think that's go. what the what the thing was. So, all right, let's uh let's get going and dig into this so we can get Rob on. So tonight we are wrapping up our focus on MUFON. And by the way, if my voice is sounding kind of scratchy, it's because I've been teaching all week my science students and uh they were very loud and rowdy this week and so i had to be loud and rowdy so my voice is a little chewed up right now but mufon is a civilian organization made up of volunteers that at their own expense seek knowledge of the ufo uap phenomenon and since 1969 has not only been active in the united states but now around the world their goals are, one, investigate UFO sightings and collect data in the MUFON database for use by researchers worldwide. Two, promote research on UFOs to discover the true nature of the phenomenon with an eye towards scientific breakthroughs and improving life on our planet. And three, educate the public on the UFO phenomenon and its potential impact mm -hmm. on society. So, Michelle, why don't you tell us a little bit about our guest before we bring him on? Well, let's go into Rob's bio just a little bit to get a background. So, Rob Switek received his undergraduate degree from Bloomsburg University in Pennsylvania, where he double majored in physics and earth science. Earth science, that's what I teach. Except for a brief time spent at NASA headquarters working on the CSAT satellite project, Switek's career was spent at the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in Virginia as a physics examiner. He worked for years in the class of aeronautics and astronautics, as well as other disparate classes. His interest in UFOs has spanned his life from the time he was a teenager to the present day. In 1976, he joined the Mutual UFO Network, MUFON, and in 1986, when he was living in the Washington, D.C. area, he began his association with the Fund for UFO Research. Being part of the fund meant involvement in all aspects of ufology, from hot-button issues like Roswell and abductions to archival uh, research and day-to-day -day UFO sightings. Rob is currently on the board of directors of both MUFON and the National UFO Historical Records Center in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that is our friend, uh, David Marler, who got us actually in touch with Rob. So let's go ahead and bring on Rob Spitek. Rob, welcome. Good evening, Wayne and Michelle. How's everything going on your end? On your end. Uh, and I, yeah, I also spoke with Dave Moore. Oh, a little, a little bit freezing up. And uh, so, yeah, here to uh, discuss UFOs with you guys, as long as you want. <laughs> 24 awesome. hours if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for all your viewers, too, for tuning in. Hope they're all yeah, new members. <laughs> yep. Oh, hey, and look at this. Right off the bat, we have... Our good friend Hellfire Studios jumping in with hey, me. Thank you, Hellfire. Thank God it's Friday, my fellow Michiganders. Thank you, Hellfire. We appreciate that, man. Thank you for helping out. That'll go toward paying our monthly fee of the StreamYard. So, 
All right, Rob, let's go ahead and jump into this. And and I know you've been asked this a million times, but why did you decide to get involved with the study of UFOs? Was there an event or an experience that made you seek out MUFON? Well, you know, I, I was actually interested in the subject before I joined MUFON but for, you know, six or seven years. But yeah, what really got me involved and prevalence of UFO sightings and newspaper reports and the uh, the University of Colorado UFO study in the late 60s. Sorry, this dates me a little bit, but I, I thought it was tremendously exciting and that they were looking into this phenomenon. I had done some reading on it uh, and realized it seemed to me something was going on. I was hoping these guys at Colorado would get to the bottom of it. They didn't. And I thought uh, I'd have uh, this mystery wrapped up uh, in 10 or 15 years, but here here it's years later, decades later, and we're still uh, seeking to uh, resolve it and uh, remove any stigma from it and and move on to what might be its uh, why it's here and how they do it. I'm kind of curious as to um, your involvement with David Marler and his UFO historic historical records center in Albuquerque. Um, how much are you involved with that and what are you thinking about what's going on there? Well, I, I can't. D Dave is the executive director of the thing. And he, so most of the work that, that, that needs to be done occurs in the New Mexico area, where Dave meets with you know, local politicians to try to get you know, building and funding. And we, we weigh in on the board. There's, I think there's five of us, Barry Greenwood and Rod Dyke and Jan Aldrich and uh, Mark Rodiger, good friend. And... Uh, we weigh in when some things need to be voted on for expenditures or where, where, you know, the size of a building we might get or something like that. But we're really not quite at that point yet where we have uh, the, the building. We, we have the material in is Dave's house and is uh, on his property. But we're hoping to get uh, uh, literally an archival structure of some type that we can store all this stuff in and have people come and access it. So it's going to be more than a storage depot. It's going to be a place you can go in, like a, a research facility, and page through the stuff and, and get copies of things. And we want transparency transparency on every level. Yeah, you know, I've seen on yeah, Facebook, seen, uh, like almost every other day, David posting all the boxes of stuff that seemed to show up. And he's gotten this person's uh, material and this person and um, Michelle and I were just recently on the Micah, Micah Hanks program and uh, were interviewed by him. And he's also very much involved with Dave. And we're talking to Dave about um, our experience because we had a huge UFO sighting of a black triangle in 2018 right here in um, southeastern Michigan, right by um, Detroit Metro Airport. And it kind of kicked us on this journey of where we end up now talking to all kinds of people about it. And it's something, you know, that we never um, expected to be involved in, especially Michelle as a English teacher. Myself, I'm an earth and space science teacher. And um, so it kind of brings me to my next question is how did you end up becoming a board member of MUFON? It seems like a, a quite a path for you to go on as well. Well, it was I, I was at every every MUFON symposium before I was on the board. 
I would be helping the Fund for UFO Research because that was the organization in the Washington, D.C. area with Richard Hall and, and other renowned uh, researchers here that went back to the 50s. So I got to know Walt Andrus fairly well and John Schuster very well, and we worked with them on cooperative projects. For example, in 1995, uh, we formed the UFO Research Coalition at the behest of uh, Robert Bigelow, and we had a me meeting out there, several meetings with Bob Bigelow as board members of our respective organizations. We all came together. So, so I, we, we were really all knew one another very well. Richard Hall knew Schuster and Andrus, and I did, of course. And Mark Rodiger and Mike Swords were out there from the Center for UFO Studies. So eventually, uh, when they needed board members, they, you know, had at least knew how nonprofits operate <laughs> and know a little bit about UFOs. So, you know, they contacted me. And what can I say? That's I, I joined and I've been there about now 19 or 18 years. Yeah, um, just I'm, I'm kind of giggling right now, and so is Michelle, because uh, one of our watchers, Mike J, said you should keep that delay all the time. It sounds cool. <laughs> I don't, hey, Wayne, I don't know. It's kind of annoying on our end. It's like hearing this feedback, but if it sounds cool on your end, guys, awesome. <laughs> so, all right. Um. Okay. I got to ask you a little bit about your background at the patent office. Yes, and I think I saw an interview with you where you talked about this a little bit about the, the patents you would examine and some of the stuff you've seen come across uh, your desk to approve. And were you, was it true you were involved in looking at the like aviation uh, patents and things like that and seen some pretty interesting things come across your desk? Yeah, that, that's correct. That, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, interesting things. Landing gear to ailerons to circular aircraft. So we had in the, uh, the breakdown, there's a big schedule that everybody looks at to find out where you would search for something. It tells you what class to look for. If you're looking for an envelope or a shoe or whatever, you go to this schedule and it tells you what class shoes are in or airplanes. And uh, then they're all broken down. So in the whole schedule for the air aircraft, there were six or seven subclasses that were drawn to circular aircraft and uh, saucers, literally flying saucers. But these things were constructed according to principles of science and engineering that we on Earth understood by scientists and engineers who are humans. So they have to meet, you know, writing up a patent application is a very involved and uh, very explicit process. You have to follow certain rules and guidelines, but you set forth your invention and then, then you look to find whether or not that circular aircraft that a person may have invented with have maybe lifting fans, uh, six lifting fans around in a circle with a jet engine mounted for horizontal thrust. Is that out there? Has somebody else done it? In short, that's what you would do. Uh, if somebody were to present an application and they said, I use anti-gravity to power this craft, I would have to reject that application because currently our science on Earth doesn't recognize anti-gravity propulsion units. I would have to say to the, the inventor, well, please provide me the, the explicit details of the anti-gravity propulsion unit on your craft according to the, the principles that we can understand and uh, then you might get your patent, but 
you know, we don't we don't just buy everything. Let's put it that way in terms of uh, what constitutes an invention. Right. So there is kind of like the the what do they call it? Like the truth yeah, test, like the the sniff test. I think that's yeah, right. Yeah. 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 The and, and if my I, I'm getting some uh, audio dropouts, so if, if if you don't hear me or something, it's 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 due to the sinister government hybrids or something that are interfering. <laughs> but it's not it's not us. <laughs> but no, basically, in short, a patent application has to be. There's one reading the application. If you read the application and you're an engineer and can understand it and can make it from the application, then that's what we ask for. Okay, and and, and that that doesn't let me touch on briefly on the 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 subject of uh, secrecy in the patent office because there are applications that uh, get security uh, uh, top secret. I don't. There's no top secret in the patent office. There are secret and classified levels of applications, and those are are also examined by uh, by a cadre of examiners in the office. Just very few people in the secrecy area. And I, I worked on those as well. Again, they have to follow the same rules that the, the non-secret ones uh, do. You have to present your, your application such a way that somebody skilled in the art could make or reproduce it. And there is no such thing as a, a secret patent. They do not exist. It's a secret application. So if I, if, if I were to get an application that was classified for some reason, I would work on it like a normal application. If I found that the inventor deserved a patent, the app, they wouldn't, the, the subject matter of the application was redacted. The application would be allowed, put on a shelf somewhere, and there it would sit until the Department of Defense redacted the application. It might be 30 years. And, but the moment they redact the, they, they withdraw the secrecy classification, that application would be passed and become a patent, past the issue, as we would say, and becomes a patent. So a patent, per se, is a public document by definition. It cannot, it's the applications that are classified. Okay, okay. So, so one thing that I always, always take, take uh, 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 what do I want to say, umbrage with, I guess, mm -hmm. is Michelle and I see in that giant triangle and the stuff we went through when we got close to it and the after effects of it, especially with me, with my health and my thyroid going crazy. Um, and what we saw, I get upset that I get told, well, that's the TR3B. I don't believe in the TR3B, but have you seen anything from your end on in the patent arena of the TR3B and the spinning of mercury and all of this kind of stuff? Well, if it's out there in the in the unclassified area, I have not seen it. Okay. If now just just because something is a secret to the Department of Defense or to the military or to an individual. Uh, something they're working on. Not everybody applies for a patent, so there there, there could be devices out there that uh, are flying around that, for whatever reason, someone never applied for a patent for it. Ah, uh, so you now you can start thinking about um, like 
private builders and companies and things like that that might be working behind the scenes to create some of these things that nobody really truly knows about? That could certainly be the case, yes. Okay. I mean, really, a patent is for free the free enterprise system. People, people get in patents in order to protect their invention for a limited amount of time from infringers so they can make and produce it. Uh, it, it doesn't help if your application is classified for yeah. 30 years when you might not even live, outlive the, uh, the secrecy restriction. So the people who invent these things that might be classified do not like it when they get classified. They want them out there in the marketplace. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, that's just how it goes. You know, some things are classified. Yeah, our friend of the podcast right here just said, if the TR3B existed, I don't think there would be a patent. I don't think there would be a patent. That is correct. Uh, so uh, this patent they talk about here, and I don't mean to talk about these for an hour here, but because I don't want to bore everybody, but we've all heard of this Pius, P-A-I-S is the inventor's name of a patent that oh, yeah. came out yeah. from the Navy uh, back Navy. in, I think it was at the end of 2017, something like that. Um that was after I had uh, yeah, retired from the patent office, so I did not work on that one. But that patent was not classified. It was uh, went through the normal unclassified process. The, the, the patent examiner, whom I know, uh, thought it was allowable, and there, there the patent is. And I, I would just say with regard to the pious uh, patent that if it were capable of doing the things that the patent alleges, China or Russia or any adversary of the U.S. could build that thing and seemingly dominate the world. Because the patent application on and apparently fly faster than the speed of light or tremendous velocities and goes through the water as easily it can, as it can go through the air. And I, I won't comment on, on as to whether this specification enables that thing to be built. It should, because that's what a patent application has to do, enable you to build it if you wanted to. But I, I will tell you, if, if, if the Chinese could build this patent of Pius's and it operated like Pius asserts it does, we'd all be in trouble. You know, we'd all be speaking Mandarin Chinese or, or something like that. Right. So, Rob, what are some of the most interesting cases that you've investigated and some of the best evidence that you have seen? Well, you know, I'm sort of not an investigator in the sense of doing field investigations because there's only so much time in your life. But but I am familiar with uh, many uh, sightings in, in the MUFON system and the historical sightings that go back for now 70 years. For example, the, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, the, the very, very one that instituted the uh, beginning of the age of uh, UFOs back in 1947, I think is, a, is an excellent sighting. By all kinds of researchers, and it, it can't be explained. And Arnold was a great witness, an airplane pilot, of course. And we move through the years. We talk about the Socorro case and uh, the, 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 the Nash Fortenberry case in 1952. You don't hear a lot about these cases now. Delphos, all these cases through the years that have gotten extensive investigations, and uh, nobody can explain what these things are. Even the University of Colorado couldn't explain 30% of the sightings that they investigated uh, and threw up their hands. Uh, so th those are the kind of sightings that, that I, I really enjoy and like. And they still continue to come through 
the, the portals of MUFON and the uh, National UFO Research Center and the Center for UFO Studies get some, they just don't get the publicity in newspapers and the media that they got, say, if they had occurred in 1961 or 1955 or 1970. Uh, individual cases from, from citizens anymore just don't seem to be profiled too often. You know, I want to jump back you know, to that uh, pious patent thing you were talking about. Isn't one of the things in, um, the Navy is kind of attached to that, isn't it? Isn't that like one? Yes, like the Navy. Spotlight work for the Navy. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's what it is. So do you think they had something to do with him being able to get that patent approved? Um, well, I've looked, looked through the, um, I've looked through the, the, the file on that case, which is public. Anybody can do it. It's not limited to former patent examiners or present patent examiners only. Anybody can look at the, the file uh, online. And uh, now they, they went through the regular, the regular process. And uh, when, when they got rejected, as almost everybody gets rejected the first one or two times you've, you filed your claims, uh, they came back with some amendments. And, uh, and the, 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 the patent office finally relented and said, okay, uh, they bought the arguments of the patent attorney who worked for the, for the Navy, and they allowed the patent application, just like any other application that we, we worked on. Okay. You're either convinced by the arguments of, the, of the, the patent prosecution as an examiner, or you're not. If you're not, they can, the, the applicant can appeal to the Patent Office Board of Appeals, and case can make it to the Supreme Court. So uh, they threatened to go to the Board of Appeals, but they did not. And uh, they convinced the examiner that their invention, the claims, you read the claims at the end of a patent, that's what defines the invention, that those claims were allowable. And uh, Mr. Bonzell allowed it. Okay. okay. Well, well, I want to dig into some, some of the more recent dirt that's been going on and get your thoughts on it and with all of your experience with MUFON and, um, and, and just get your overall sense personally and also what you think of the MUFON as an organization thinks about these things. So I put a little bit of a timeline together and there really seems to be a fight within the government when it comes to UFOs and disclosure. It seems there's one group that wants to continue to deny the existence of UFOs, one group that wants to know what's going on with the phenomenon, and then we have the whistleblowers and witnesses that are starting to come forward. So, for instance, I was going through a, a real hard time with the Grush um, article that came out on the debrief, and, and I was trying to make sense of everything. So this is what I ended up doing. I figured out why I was having this disconnect going on in my head because there was a NASA article on May 31st of this year um, in the AP and it had Dan Evans coming out and saying this, and I got the quotes here. Um, it says NASA talks UFOs with public ahead of the final report on identified flying objects, APUs. And it says, he says, I want to emphasize this loud and proud. There's absolutely no convincing evidence for extraterrestrial life associated with it. Uh, 
unidentified objects, NASA, um, Dan Evans said after the meeting that they did. Then just a few days later on January 5th, the Grush article comes out on the debrief. And then just two days later, um, the Pentagon Arrow, A-A-R-O, comes out and says the following. To date, Arrow has not discovered any verifiable or, yeah, verifiable information to substantiate the claims that any programs regarding the possession or reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently. And that was, I think, her first name is Susan Go. Oh, Susan Goff, yeah. Or something. Goff? Like okay. G-O-U-G-H, I think she spelled yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. So that really messed with me until I saw the three witnesses and the subcommittee recently, um, Grush, Fravor, and Graves. And I totally switched my position on Grush, that I believe that he was told what he told to the subcommittee to be true that he believes it to be true as he was interviewing these people. What is your personal stance on this and everything that's going on? What do you know? And then how does MUFON deal with something like that as an organization? Well, we sort of deal with it like everybody else. Uh, most of us in MUFON do not have a pipeline right to the, uh, any of the congressmen or, or, or congressional, congressional aides or senators. Uh, Dave McDonald does because he he is meeting with Congress as he has set forth in uh, his draft. I don't know what transpires during those meetings, but uh, I, again, what what the congressmen think and, and what the DoD thinks are are are, are two different things. Uh, the, the Congress members, the congressional members, can be completely convinced there's something to the to UFOs, and some of them are. And the DOD people are going to say whatever they want to say and, 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 and not release any information, not release information they don't want to release. That's, that's as simple as it is. Uh, I, I, can't, I guess I can't add anything else to that other than to say that this is one of the reasons we need civilian investigation of the UFO phenomenon. Uh, it, it, the government has the perfect right to investigate these things for our national safety and security. But don't expect we're necessarily going to get information out we can work with from a scientific point of view. We need to have civilian scientists and engineers working on this subject. We've needed it that way for 70 years. And where there are no, where clarity, clarity prevails and articles are written up in referee journals and, and science is allowed to proceed as it proceeds for several hundred years to figure out what the facts and the true nature of this phenomenon is. Uh, we're just not going to get it from, from the DOD until they're ready to give it to us. And I'm irritated about that, but what can you do? Right. I mean, that's just it. We're kind of sitting there with our hands up in the air. like, um, and, and see, this is where I have a problem when we've talked with Stephen Bassett. I love the guy. He's passionate. He's like... It's time to end the information embargo. Come on, government, release everything. 
but we kind of went back and forth a little bit because I believe that any big breakthroughs and knowledge that comes forward is going to come from the civilian side, and he thinks it's going to come from the government side. So I, I'm taking you kind of side with me on that as a member of MUFON. You probably feel the same way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I, I do. Uh, I, I, I would... I, I would think that uh, two points, I guess. Point number one might be that the government doesn't know anything than you and I know about this phenomenon. Despite all this so-called, all the secrecy and everything else, they don't really know how these, where I tend to fall down on that one, fall into place on that belief. And a, a belief is what it is. Uh, I, I think if they had really reduced to practice some of these objects and the incredible manner of flights that they have, right angle turns at very high speeds, hypersonic speeds, vanishing in place sometimes. Uh, we wouldn't be throwing billions of dollars on hypersonic missiles now that operate with scramjet and ramjet technology that is well well known to scientists and engineers in this country. Why throw that kind of money around when you can, again, I'll use the phrase, dominate the world with the technology that you have recovered from the UFOs? And we're not doing that. And so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just mystified by that. I, I don't, I'm not sure they know anything really about how these things work, or they haven't reduced it to practice. They haven't been able to figure out whatever they might have. Yeah, you know that that's always been my point. Has been if we had this and we were building these TR3Bs or these Tic Tacs where we could just push a button in six seconds, be you know, 60 miles away. I mean, you put a nuke on one of those and there's no way you can stop it. And you could drop it right in the middle of Moscow or they could drop it right in the middle of Washington, DC, you know? So absolutely, we, we've always used the best weapons that we've ever had. And for somebody to be sitting on it and not using it, I have, I find a hard time believing that. And I think uh, one of our um, longtime friends and uh, guests that's been on our show a couple of times, Guy Merritt, he always says the same exact thing. We would we would definitely be using it because he had a triangular experience here in Michigan as well back in 94. So anyways. Yeah, yeah I, I think you're on to something there. And. And, and and another thing that's not brought out too too frequently here in, in recent reporting, recent reporting from 2017, is the fact that the exact same conclusions that Arrow reached in its in its reports, you could lift their their terminology verbatim from classified documents from the 1940s that have come out through FOIA. The, these things were acting the same way in 1947 and 1948 as they're described now. Right angle turns, spheres that just fly through the sky with no apparent means of propulsion that that are can't be explained. Uh, hypersonic speeds, the maneuvering around every type of aircraft this nation has had since 1947, all the different generations of jet aircraft, UFOs just have games have games with them. You know, play play with them like you're playing with your cat. You know, they they fly circles around our our, our most advanced uh, technology. It's always been that way, or so at least been that way for seventy years. And 
when when NASA comes out and they say we uh, we don't see anything there that that could be uh, non-human or extraterrestrial, well, do you know the history of the subject? Have you looked at any of the cases, uh, the great cases that can't be explained? Not every case is by a pilot seen at thirty thousand feet, five miles away. Many many sightings like yours, Wayne, are seen close up, sometimes right over a witness's car where the person is terrified. And uh, that's there's hundreds of cases like that. And these are the things that have to start being acknowledged and actually studied. I'm tired of hearing, oh, we can explain most cases, but we can't explain 20%. <laughs> That 20% is pretty big. Or, or, or 3% or whatever it is, but it, we know that. You don't have to tell us. Most things can be explained. We're interested in the core, what remains after the chaff is removed of UFO sightings. And it's about time if NASA is going to do this, this some kind of a study, then do it and do it without the, the security restrictions and, and just Call a spade a spade. If you can't explain the damn thing, then just say that. We don't know where it is. We don't know how it operates, but there's a real phenomenon here. And maybe we'll get that. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, you know, that that reminds me of the 1966 uh, swamp gas thing that went on here in Michigan. Those pilots that were sent to intercept those craft that they saw said the same exact thing that they zipped around, made right angle turns, and, and they could just zoom off and so fast that they disappeared. Um, so this has been going on for quite a while. I mean, you're absolutely right on that. And that's a characteristic of the UFO phenomenon. And when, when either a NASA panel or a group of scientists says, well, we don't see any consistency in UFO reports, Okay, maybe you don't see consistency in that kind of that have been reported now for 70 years. You sure do see consistency in the manner that these things operate in, the, the, the darting around, the vertical flight to go from in front of you to three miles away in a second, like in, in Damon, Texas in 1965. It's, it's really remarkable. Those things have stayed the same. So the phenomenon does have characteristics and they can be ascertained after you investigate cases and, again, remove the chaff, as I say, or you know, yeah. keep the warheads and do away with the dummies, that type thing. <laughs> <laughs> I always like to say it's like searching for a needle in a stack of needles, you know. Um, but Guy says something interesting here. He says, I struggle to believe the government really doesn't know these things exist. Seems implausible in the extreme, if I follow this correctly. But we got to be careful. Or who, who are we calling the government, right? Because there are those lifetime uh, contractors or military people that are working. I guess they consider them, what, the underground government, the shadow government, or something like that. That are there yeah, sub always. Subcontractors, yeah. Well, yeah, that's that 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 is certainly true. Uh, and, and yeah, I I think that I can't think that it's not happening. That the government does. The, the government, the 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 military, say, uh, acknowledges that there is a phenomenon here, but but it completely stymies them and it's it's aggravating and mystifying to them and and 
it's kind of hard to admit that that, that a military and, and a technology such as this country has hasn't made any progress in explaining these things. So yeah. best to sweep them away and not think about them because they don't seem to be taking us over. <laughs> yeah. Sweep it under the rug and let's go on with life, you know, that type of thing. You know, and Guy says something I completely agree with. I am pretty suspicious of NASA. Have you any dealings of looking into NASA and them? Yeah, could you, yeah, could you repeat that question there, Wayne? It dropped out a little bit on the sound. Yeah, uh, Guy said, and I agreed with him, that I'm pretty suspicious of NASA. What's your thoughts on that and this NASA UAP? When I saw the latest live stream that they did talking about this, they seemed very confrontational, just very negative about it. Well, at least they acknowledge that uh, there's something there to be studied. Uh, I, I don't, I, I think that to put it kindly, the 16 members of that panel, maybe make one exception, uh, are are. are complete naifs and, and naive as to the UFO subject. I, I don't think they have done people, but they have not looked at cases. They have not done, uh, reviewed the literature of the UFO field, but they're all just shooting from the hip. Uh, and the report says over and over and over again, ad nauseum, we need sensors to look at this. We need a whole of government approach. Blah, blah, blah. I know that. It doesn't take 34 pages to tell me over and over again that we need sensors. Of course we do. But we have good eyewitness testimony, too. And that's another part of the uh, of the equation. Uh, you, you, we, 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 we convict people every, every week in this country based on eyewitness testimony and no physical evidence. The same thing can occur in science. You can resolve the meets and bounds of some phenomena, at least get started from eyewitness testimony. And we have many, many decades and years of it and thousands of cases in the MUFON CMS system if they want some good cases to start from. Yet they don't even acknowledge that. They, they don't even give lip service to the fact practically that civilians are seeing UFOs dozens of times every day in this country. And yeah. so, yeah they, yeah, they have a lot of homework to catch and a lot of work to do to catch up. And they don't have anybody who was involved with the UFO field on the panel. They didn't have anyone. Where was Mark Rodiger, for example? Maybe they should have contacted him or Dave Marner, somebody like that, who knows the subject inside. Uh, no, no. Yeah, I, I agree. And since we're, well, since we're talking about this and you have your background in earth science and as do I, as I am a, a science teacher myself of earth and space science. So. Um, that's kind of funny that we both have that same kind of background. Um, but I keep on coming back to the idea that our scientific method may not be what it will take to study something that doesn't want to be studied. I was being interviewed on a another show, and I, it kind of just occurred to me in my mind of how do you study something that seems intelligent and doesn't want to be studied? So can you tell us um, about some of the new things that MUFON may be doing or technology that is being employed to collect new UFO, UAP data at all? Well, we don't really have, uh, I can't say we've, we, we, have, we have enhanced the capabilities of the MUFON lab for investigating physical traces. We've come out with a, uh, a phone app so that people who uh, subscribe to this app 
can uh, put the details of their sightings in immediately and, 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 and file a report, this type thing. But the, the kind of technology you, you need, uh, we, we can't afford. Uh, yeah, you, we, we do need sensors. I, I can't deny that. Uh, but the study of these reports out to more than just the four or 500 investigators in, in MUFON, you want to get them out, at least the cases out, to the scientific community somehow so that they can really dig in into the subject with respect to very small details that maybe nobody didn't realize. Or like Avi Loeb, set up a sensor arrangement and try to get it in a location where sightings are occurring so you can pick up the kind of data that NASA says they can do with their instruments. And may maybe NASA will come up with the, the sensors. It costs millions of dollars, but they'll have the budget and can develop these things and will get the tangible kind of data that science wants. But the subject is not beyond scientific uh, the scientific method. It's just going to require a little different approach to it. And uh, certainly over the 70 years of, of mostly civilian investigation of UFOs, we have gotten hard evidence. We have gotten trace samples that resist explanation. We have gotten photographs that resist explanation and radar tracks. And you can work with those. And, and, and once we come up with a conclusion that we can all live with, and in my opinion, in my belief, that's a, the explanation of UFOs. It's a non-human intelligence, but that's as far as I can go. But if we were all on that same page, then we can take the next steps and say, okay, where are they from? How are they powering these things? How are they moving them? Why are they here? But we're not at that stage yet. We're still at the same damn stage we've been at for so many years. We've got to get a consensus amongst scientists and, and academ academicians and intelligent people in this country and in the world, because it's a worldwide phenomenon, that we're dealing with something that is, at this point, seems to be beyond our human technology. Now, That's speaking of sensors and uh, NASA and all that, has there ever been any contact or a liaison made with uh, uh, Space Force? We had Matt Lowmeyer on, and he was a former commander of a Space Force base, and he was hinting at some of the sensors that they have that are pointing back at Earth, but they could also, um, and he, he didn't say, and he wouldn't say because it's classified about, you know, moving them around and having them look outward as well. Um, but... Has there been any contact or anything made with Space Force and being able to do uh, some kind of exchange of information or using some of their sensors? Uh, not, not to my knowledge from an official point of view. Now, here's an interesting thing. Uh, earlier this year or late last year, I kind of forget the date now, my wife, my wife who is the uh, head of Virginia MUFON, had a high official of the Space Force that we know speak before her MUFON group mm. on a Saturday in, in a restaurant, or maybe it was a Sunday group of people there. And we, he came there and he, he said, oh, yeah, I'll give you a PowerPoint presentation. We'll talk about it. He flatly ruled out speaking about UFOs, wouldn't say practically anything about them. And, uh, and I see this fellow every once in a while because he's a member of the church I go to. And, and he's he's he told me he's a good friend of uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, who is the head of Arrow. And I, I gave him some some. Uh, I, I said, oh, his name's Joe. I said, Joe, uh, 
here's some documents that have been released from the uh, government years and years ago. It used to be top secret documents explaining uh, that they can't explain UFOs from the 1940s. Can you see that these get to Sean Kirkpatrick? He said, I will give them to him. I don't think Sean Kirkpatrick was ever aware of these things. But to get back to your question, the Space Force it does have the sensors that it, it, it probably could use to either face inward toward the Earth to look at uh, hostile activity, possible hostile activity against the U.S. or outward for objects, satellites, for example, that could be in higher orbits than the satellite with the sensors. And I've read some reports in Aviation Week lately saying that the, the Space Force is looking for objects that can't be explained, but it was in the context of, of human-made objects that can't be explained, like anti-satellite satellites, this type thing. But it's, it's inevitable that the Space Force is going to be brought into this. Uh, our friend who spoke said, oh, we just relay these things on, uh, if we can't explain them, they just go to Arrow. Well, I give them to Sean. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I think, like it or not, the Space Force is going to have to deal with these things. Yeah. Just like NORAD had to. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I totally agree. All right. So, everybody, we are joined once again with Rob Switek. He is a board member of MUFON. As we are wrapping up our monthly focus on MUFON, um, and before we take a break and we come back, um, can I get your take on the alien mummies that have shown up in Mexico and... Uh, Seems they were taken from Peru, and the Peruvian government's not too happy about that. You know, I don't know a whole lot about that because I, I just, I, I tend to think it's much ado about nothing. And uh, from the, the little bit I've heard and read, but this this kind of story has, has percolated through the UFO field now for a long time, maybe 10, 20 years of these small creatures being found mummified. And I, I just don't, I, I just don't, Think there's uh, that there might be it might be a species we don't recognize. They're desiccated. They're mummified, but I don't. I, I just don't put much credence in it. Yeah, they they've uh, been famous too good for. To be true it is. Yeah, exactly. Um, and just want to acknowledge here before we jump on break, uh, Dorothy Hawkins. She says for two dollars. She says sweet Rob Switek from Mufon. Very cool. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Dorothy. So I take it she probably saw uh, you somewhere else before. <laughs> Once in a while, I've seen something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did see that you were recently on News Nation. Yes, yes, I was, right in the wake of the uh, of the, the Grush stuff there. Yeah. About the hearings, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was an interesting experience. Well, you know what? I say we're going to go ahead and let's take a break. Um, let's do about four or five minutes and we'll jump back. I got a couple other questions that I want to ask and then we'll see if we can get some uh, questions from our audience. Uh, Rob, are you up to that for maybe another half hour or so? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, let's awesome. Okay, great. All right, Rob, I'm going to send you to the back. All right, everybody. Hey, Michelle. I don't know. Guy brought up that interesting case in Vegas. Might be uh, yes. interesting to get Rob's and in, you know input on that one. 
thanks for bringing that up guy absolutely we gotta we gotta bring that up that uh las vegas case now i've seen the interview with the family they're not they're not kidding they they are serious about what they saw so we can bring that up yeah. with rob when we come back um everybody thank you once again for joining us on this awesome friday night with rob switek he is a ufo researcher and on the mufon board of directors um and you've probably seen him on a ton of stuff i started doing some looking around and i saw he was on larry king live before he's was recently on news nation um with all the grush stuff that was coming out i mean this is the guy so if you have some kind of questions you want to ask this would be a perfect time as we wrap up our focus on mufon and the and the questions in the chat that have nothing to do with ufos <laughs> are the lions for real right now <laughs> you know time will tell on that one so I, who yeah, who could have? Pre- there is some paranormal and some alien activity going on when it comes to the Detroit Lions. Okay, if you need any more evidence, that that's it. So, all right, Michelle, why don't we get out of here and go jump on a break for a few minutes? Time might it might be time to get out my apparel for the Lions again. Well, it might be time for another coffee. I know oh, my voice God, could yes. use it. All right, everybody, we'll be right back. Thanks for uh, hanging out with us tonight. See you in four. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then, you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! Hi, I'm Greg Little co-author of Origins of the God with England's Andrew Collins. It's a great book. It's about UFOs and the paranormal, and it gives an explanation. It's not what you think. And you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Jared Murphy of NotAliens.com, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle from Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. What is up, you guys? It's your girl, Gemma Jade from Gemma Jade YouTube, Moon Bear Oracle, Paranormal Chop Shop. You're here listening to Wayne and Michelle with the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi, this is Chris Lato of the Chris Lato YouTube channel, retired F-16 pilot turned UAP investigator, and you are listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Hi. 
This is Terry Lane Keel, Director of MUFON Memberships, Investigator, Demonologist, and Author of Alien Healing, The True Story of a Benevolent Extraterrestrial. And you're listening to Wayne and Michelle on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters Podcast. Hi, this is Sev Talk from MUFON and the author of You Have the Right to Talk to Aliens and the host of Alien Spirit TV with Sev on YouTube. You're listening to Wayne and Michelle at the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us once again here on the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast live edition. And we're joined tonight by Rob Switek from MUFON. And we're going to get into a couple more pre-prepared kind of questions that we had for him. And then we're going to turn it over to our buddies and lovely ladies and gentlemen in chat that want to ask some questions of Rob and MUFON. And um, what a great night. I'm telling you guys, you know, outside of the technical a uh, little bit of issues we're having. It's been uh, fantastic having you guys here with us. Um, Dorothy, once again, thank you for your super chat. That was awesome. And at the beginning, we had Hellfire. Uh, thank you once again, man, for your uh, support. We truly appreciate it. And let's see, who do we got us with us in chat now? We have, Oh, Barry has hey, joined hey, us. Barry's joined. Hey, Barry, great seeing you. Um, welcome, welcome. Let's see. Where's Michelle? There's Michelle. Yeah, I felt like the disembodied voice again. Yeah. Well, you know, you had to get that coffee made. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I think the changing of this weather is also starting to really, you know, get on my voice too, on top of using it all the time. So, uh, you know, it gets to be kind of a pain. Well, it got cold. <laughs> it's been getting warm again. Yeah. The rain. Yeah. So, yeah, pure Michigan. Yep, 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 yep. All right. I think we're going to bring Rob back on. Let's go ahead and get our guest for the night. All right. There we are. Rob, how's it going, man? Good. Good to be back. <laughs> All right. Good having you back. So, Las Vegas UFOs. What do you make of that? Well, there's a little sound drop out here, but uh, let me just say that, I, that I'm not an expert on that case. But it, it does seem that the, the persistence of the witnesses and, 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 and what they had to say hasn't changed too much from the beginning of the signing to now. They're not backing down. I think they were originally somebody said it was a meteor or something like that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm prepared to believe some strange things are happening out there in Vegas and it has nothing to do with gambling. <laughs> that, that's fair. And other things. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, I think one of the things that might have muddied the waters was that when people were starting to dissect the video and trying to find the aliens in the, you know, in the one screenshot, and it's like, is it pareidolia? Is it, you know, it, it just seemed to muddy the waters. And for me personally, that kind of turned me away from that case because obviously to me as an earth scientist and in a you know astronomy 
guy, I saw that bull-eyed. To me, that's that's just a meteor coming in and, and exploding. They tracked it on radar. I don't believe that was a craft. Now, could there be, at the same time, something going on with some type of creatures or something running around there from an actual craft? Absolutely. So you, you raise a good point there, Wayne. Sorry to inter interrupt you just for one second. Th there have been articles written about UFO sightings, unknown UFO sightings here, I'm talking about not explained ones, that occur during meteor showers or meteoric events. It's not the first time something like this has happened and been commented upon. I'm talking about going back a number of decades now that these articles were written about the strange, you know, you'll see a large meteor enter the atmosphere and by God, there's some seemingly genuine UFO cases occurring almost the exact same time. Don't know what to make of it. Yeah, and you know, Dorothy brings up something very interesting here. And and this is another thing I think that helped muddy the waters and it kind of turned me away a little bit too, is that Dorothy says, I found the timing of the sightings right around the hearing and disclosure 2.0 by Greer seems suspect in her opinion. What do you make of the Greer stuff? Well, I'm not not, not a big fan of, of Stephen. Uh, he 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 jumps first and sort of asks questions later. He's he's ten steps further down the ladder than I am as to what's going on with regard to UFO, uh, the UFO phenomenon. I'm sort of on, on the first step of the ladder, and I admit I don't know most of what's happening. I know cases a little bit, but I don't know what's going on. Stephen and others seemingly do at least in in his estimation and maybe he does i'm not going to say that that he doesn't but nonetheless that over the years uh steven and i and our organizations just haven't had a good relationship and uh and uh, yeah we could talk a long time about about you know greer's uh involvement in the ufo field and uh, some good things and some not so good things but nonetheless uh i I just can't support a lot of what he what he uh, says. Yeah, Greer. Um, I I guess uh, guy says it here um, that he basically Greer annoys him. You know, it's like for me, it's the Wilson document things. That's where because I've done some digging into that, and I know Richard Dolan's on that really on that in the MJ 12 materials and things. And like I said, my wife and I just got into this stuff as, you know, we're teachers, but what brought us into this was uh, experience sighting right over the road. We were driving and we started asking people if they saw anything else. And next thing we know, we have a 6,000 member uh, Facebook group, and I'm like, maybe we can help people out by talking about this and making a podcast and bringing on people. And it's been nonstop ever since, and it's been uh, an amazing, you know, ride. So I was digging into the uh, Greer's background in this Wilson document stuff. And it seems like it's just not what it's supposed to be. But then Dolan's all over it, and he's like 100% on board. So I don't know. Greer strikes me as the kind of guy that says, I know what's going on. This is the way it is. Believe me or else. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're not wrong. 
uh, you're you're on the right track there. I think all you really need to do with respect to Greer is is just just read that outsider the outside magazine outsider magazine whatever it's called that came the article on him that came out in 1997 or something like that before the turn of the century. Okay. And that that he's taking people out to see and and, and UFOs and some people are going to be the first people to board the craft and others are going to are going to hang back and he's going to have boarding leaders and all this. these things and uh oh yeah then they see something he knows they're going to appear it's just again i i don't buy the contactees the old time contactees maybe some of them had some kind of a weird psychological experience but i i'm just i, I stay away from that i, I and and greer the, the same thing there's too much non-questionable stuff to look at you don't have to go down that rabbit down, down that rabbit hole yeah, yeah. Dorothy says, uh, for my part, Disclosure 1.0 in 2001 was enough for me to, quote-unquote, believe in Greer. And I think he might have been a little bit more um, – that was when he did the National Press Club thing, right, with all of those witnesses and stuff. Right. See, that to me, that's not believing Greer. That's believing the eyewitnesses that he brought forward. Oh, absolutely. He he does get and has gotten some people, uh, good witnesses, to 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 appear at press conferences with them. That's beyond a doubt. Yeah, yeah. So you so you, you can't, can't you you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater, but you don't need to listen to the baby to see if the bathwater is clean. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um. Okay. Let's see. Uh, where do I want to go with this? Um. Oh. This is one of my new favorite subjects I'm starting to dig into a little bit. MUFON's stance on USOs, unidentified submerged objects. And for people that don't know what that may be, most of people on this show is going to know. But these are usually picked up by like Navy submarines or surface ships. They're sonars. They actually have a classification for them. They call them fast movers. And they move at incredible speed, like hundreds of miles per hour under the water, which rivals like any kind of technology, foreign or domestic, that we know of. Has MUFON investigated anything similar to that? I know they're transmedium. They come out of the water, well, well, go in the water. We have a, MUFON, has a, yeah, MUFON has a dive team. Sorry if I cut you off. I had a little sound drop there. No, perfect. But, uh, no, perfect. I have to sort of try to, when's he going to come back and I can... Uh, but, but to my knowledge, the, the dive team, uh, scuba divers, ha, ha, has never operated or investigated a case, operated in an environment where a, a case like that occurred, where something was moving at a, a terrific speed under the water. They're sort of prepared to go down and maybe get somebody maybe saw something fall off a UFO into a pond or a lake and they could go down there and get that. Or, yeah, they may say they saw a UFO go in a lake. And Debbie Ziegelmeyer and, and and her team of divers can go down there and, and see if you know if the UFO is still there. But uh, no, to my knowledge, the MUFON has never. They get very few cases where the dive team has to be uh, sent into action. I guess they don't slide down a pole, but you know what I mean. And um, but this is something in more in the purview of the Navy and and people who are uh, actually in the nuclear submarines and uh, operating in that environment. They've been going on for years. A guy named Carl Feint wrote a book about it, I think, called Underwater UFOs or something like that a number of years ago. And uh, 
and he has managed to, to document an awful lot of cases, you know, hundreds of cases that occurred in the water or under the water, you know, entering the water or coming out of the water, this type of thing. Now, has MUFON been able to corroborate or correlate any data between these sightings and nuclear power, like nuclear subs, nuclear uh, uh carriers, nuclear power plants, like there being more sightings, nuclear missile bases, things like that, then. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't recall if there are any uh, sightings in the MUFON CMS database that directly concern, that, that were filed, say, by some of these pilots like, uh, like Fravor or, or uh, Graves. I, we, we certainly have an awful lot of sightings from uh, civilian pilots over the years and uh, airline pilots and private pilots. And I and there are, I guess, a few military sightings in there, but they, they tend to be kind of rare. Uh, they don't show up often, though we did. We do and have gotten some pretty good cases from people on airplanes taking either videos or still shots of stuff they see out the windows. In some cases, it's the pilot. Other cases, of course, it's the passengers. And uh, the, these are a, a couple of them are, are quite puzzling and really deserve to be brought before not only the SNASA subcommittee, if they would look at them, but before Arrow as well. One case that occurred in, in, in over Texas, and in, in I think it was October you know, 2021, uh, two years ago now, a woman photographed a discoidal object with a contrail behind it, a woman who was apparently a high-ranking military official, and she was flying as a civilian. And, uh, and she filed this on this MUFON case management system. The picture is excellent. Uh, it needs to be brought to a wider audience. Uh, what did this woman photograph? It's, it doesn't look like a conventional flying object of, uh, you know, flying aircraft to me, a man-made device. Yeah. yeah. Sure. That's about as good as we can get, you know, with these, these kind of things uh, for our civilian Well, my guess is, is that it would probably be classified anyways. We wouldn't know. Yeah, they, they just don't, they, they just don't, we don't get too many people sharing uh, military sightings with us. I wish we did. It's, it's hard enough to just get the civilian guys to do it. <laughs> yep. Well, Rob, thinking about something that we had just watched because it just released uh, within the last few days, um, Netflix recently received or released the new docuseries called Encounters. Um, and although we haven't finished it, we've gotten through the three out of the four episodes I'm curious if MUFON was involved in some way with that mini series, and if you've watched it. Um, no, I've not. I've not seen the the Encounter series. I, I don't watch a whole lot of things on TV. Man, my my time's taken up with so much other stuff that I I can't watch the programs. I I don't think uh, cooperated or, or was asked to be part of the 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 Encounter series. Uh, it certainly didn't wasn't a matter that came before the board. So I, I would say that probably we have not. Of course, we do have a, a we, we take a great interest in, in, in close encounter type cases where a person claims to be abducted, this type of thing at MUFON. And we've, we've taken those cases uh, seriously for many, many years now. And we continue to do that. Um, are, are you familiar with the 1994 Michigan UFO flap on the west side of Michigan? Uh, was this the one that involved radar and, and radar pictures? Yes, that's yeah. the, the one that involved Jack Bashong, who was a meteorologist at the time out of Muskegon. Sure, sure. Yeah, I can't give you the specifics of it. I'd have to look that up. But yes, I, I, I 
I am familiar with the vague, out, vague outlines of it. I was going to say, I wondered what your thoughts were, because that was at the same time in March of 94 that there were over 300 sightings that were reported, and that was just the west side of the state. Well, I've never heard from people who have investigated that case and looked closely into it and the reading I've done. It seems to me it's it's, it's a very puzzling case or you know, series of cases. Uh, I know Mike Swords, who lives in Kalamazoo, Michigan, did at least one or more articles on those sightings for the the International UFO Reporter, I, I believe. That was uh, Kufos's uh, house publication and was convinced something very odd was going on there and that these people were, you know, had picked up something on radar and, and, and couldn't explain. It often happens that during the 52 sightings where uh, a great avalanche of cases also includes with it radar cases. So this isn't at all unusual in, in, in the UFO field. I'm being attacked by an alien right now, if people are wondering. Oh, jeez. This giant thing just jumped up on my lap, and he's not little. It's a non-human life form. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's definitely not intelligent, too. <laughs> we have an intelligent one around here somewhere, but she hasn't shown right. up. Right. Right. So if, uh, I mean, he just, he doesn't leave me alone when I'm home. Um, That's kind of neat. But, okay, so I asked um, our audience if they had any questions that they wanted to ask. And to put them in chat here, let's see. I have uh here we go. Rick Davis asked earlier. He said, "Why wouldn't Mufon try to be part, be a part of the Sky 360 endeavor? If you're looking for evidence, then get involved directly and not just use the reports of people." Hmm. I only know a little bit about Sky 360. Rob, can you elaborate on that? I, I, I probably could. I, I can't elaborate much more on that. Um, okay. Avi Loeb and his team is also doing the same thing with with sensors, and, and we're, Mufon is all for that. And uh, if if they reach out to us and 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 and, and get involved with it, if if we can, that's that's all I can say. Yeah, we would. Uh, we're not holding ourselves back and would like to see more, you know, please, please contact us and, and Dave or, or anybody in MUFON and, and we'll work with you if we can. I think people have a perception of MUFON being a gigantic organization with a huge amount of funds and like operating like a government. <laughs> and you know, these are just normal people in the, you know, that are interested or had an experience that drew them into this. They're not uh, have a huge amount of resources like Space Force and things like that. Rob, if you want to speak to that. Right. It's it's again, I had a sound drop out there. I'm sorry. Um, I wasn't sure when you had ended. Um when you have an organization that's over 500 people, it, it does become it does become more bureaucratic. What can I say? Uh, forms are developed that, that are to be used on the CMS system. Investigators are told how to uh, how to question people or taught how to question people or do things, and it, it does get very organizational. 
and we have breakdowns that people do one job, other people do another job. And, and, and it, it, yeah, it becomes a small, a small government. What can I say? I, that's just the way it works when you get a whole lot of humans working together. When I was with the fund for UFO research, one of the things that Richard Hall and, and Bruce McAbee and Don Berliner wanted when they started the fund was for it to not be a, a membership organization, an organization that was going to raise funds and disseminate them for scientific research, which it did very well. But they they just felt, having been part of NICAP, that we can operate in a different way if we were a non-membership organization. So there's there's something to be said for both uh, both organizations. We need a MUFON type organization. If it's not MUFON, it'll be MUFON by another acronym that's investigating sightings. We need sightings to continue to be looked at and investigated. And just do we have some warts and faults? Yes, we do, but any large organization does. So we have a question, Rob, from Dorothy, um, and she missed the beginning of the show. She's not sure if you already answered this, but she said, um, how many reports has MUFON collected from witnesses over the years and what percentage are unexplainable? That's an excellent question. I, I'm prepared sort of for that. Uh, well, let me just give you a little, I, I have the, the, two, the 2023 figures right here at, at, at hand for you. Um, in brief, just for uh, January through February of this year, 2023, excuse me, not January through February, uh, uh, January through August, we have, uh, where is my paper there on that? I thought it was better organized on this than I am. Here it is, right in front of me. Um, we've had, well, about about 3,069 cases as of uh, of early September when I tabulated these things. So January through August of 2023, 3,069 cases. Four was out to about a 14.6, almost a 15% unknown rate. Um, Rob, did you go over those numbers one more time? You dropped out right when you were getting into those. Absolutely. Uh, the, the number of events that, that MUFON has gotten as of August, uh, September 9th, 2023, in this year, is 3,069, 3,070 uh, about. And 447 of those were unknown. So it, it correlates to about a 15% unknown rate. Uh, that's about the average for MUFON over the years here. Let's see if I can pull something up on my computer. Uh, That's yeah, a I can, go, I can go back to any year, but, but, but every year, for example, in 2020, we had 6,200 sightings. In 2021, we had 5,600 sightings. Uh, in 2018, we had uh, 6,047 uh, sightings in, from both the U.S. and from uh, international countries. So yeah, we, we continue to hover around the uh, five to 6,000 uh, numbers of events through these years. Uh, the unknown rates have varied through the years uh, a little bit. Uh, 2016 was about a 30% uh, unknown rate. Uh, 2018, 28.9 unknown rate. 2020, 23.2. And 21, 2021 had a 24.9% unknown rate with uh, 1,157 unknowns. Yeah, I've, I've, I've got I've got the figures here for all these things that, that I do go 
go through and tabulate. Yeah, and, those numbers uh, yeah, are, kind shapes, are kind of blowing up. They're blowing away the people in the chat right now. I mean, th there there are it's a, a rule of thumb is yeah between three and four thousand cases each year with around a fifteen sixteen percent unknown rate at, at this particular time, and from both international and in, yeah add international that number goes up a little bit. Most of these numbers I tabulated with just uh, a lot of them are are U.S. numbers only, but um, it, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, um, you know, and Guy brings up a point, too, that we could probably touch on for a minute. Um, he says, I'm kind of past the, quote, maybe people get abducted stuff. Uh, personally, just my own bias. And they're kind of having a discussion about people that they know and that say they've been abducted. And Guy's pretty much convinced of the people that he knew that were abducted. Um, what is... Um, uh, MUFON's like his stance and investigation into the number of like abduction cases. You 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 touch on a, on, on a kind of a sore subject there. Um, MUFON has something called the uh, Experiencer Resource Team. The acronym is ERT. Set these papers aside here. They they look into abductions and the accounts thereof. Uh, they do not release how many numbers they have. So I cannot tell you uh, how many cases ERT works on each year, how many cases they have worked on in past years, or, or what the, uh, the sequence of events are that now comprise an, an abduction. And this is kind of a sore point with me because I would like to know that. Uh, back around the turn of this century, we had Bud Hopkins and Dave Jacobs, two prominent researchers who were very good and what types of cases that you had, what the experiences were that the witnesses reported, and how many cases they worked on. But there has been a drop off in the terms of the numbers of those kinds of researchers. And there aren't too many prominent abduction researchers now that are going public with their, with their cases. And that includes the people who comprise the ERT. So I, I, I wish I could be a little more explicit on the, the, the abduction cases, but I can't. Uh, all I can say is that when uh, Dr. Eddie Bullard looked into all the cases that he knew of back in 1987, he could find in the literature that were public of abduction cases, and he analyzed them in a, in a telephone book-sized uh, uh, publication. He found an in internal consistency that went beyond just randomness in, in the types of events and when those events occurred during an abduction. But that was 1987, and uh, I, I would like to know if those series of incidents still occur, and do they still occur in that particular sequence that Eddie Bullard found? Because it was very mystifying and very odd. That's all I can say. <laughs> is there a reason why the ERT is not sharing their data at all? Yes, there there is a there is a reason. Um, they, they see themselves, and, and again, this, this is Rob Swiatek speaking. This is not, I'm not going to pretend to speak for the, the MUFON board or the organization itself. Absolutely. Uh, because I, I, I can't. Uh, but what I have seen in, in, in things is that they see themselves as caregivers, which they are to a certain extent, and less as scientific researchers. They're medical caregivers. abductees as patients, a patient doctor confidentiality in these cases. And some of these people don't even share the cases with other people on the ERT. 
uh, or or have any intention of ever making any of these cases public. So uh, I, I probably said too much, and I may no longer be on the board tomorrow. But uh, <laughs> that, that's my take on that, and that's my my honest uh, honest uh, feelings about how MUFONs and abductions is proceeding at this point. It's not proceeding along the lines that I, I particularly like. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fair. I mean, it, it's your opinion. Hopefully they don't have a big problem with it, but it makes sense. So, And, and if they do an article in the MUFON journal, which once in a while somebody does one, I, I learn nothing new. Uh, it's, it's, I'm told that people have missing time. I'm told that people have events going back to childhood. Well, I knew that back in 19, in the 1980s. And I don't need to be told that again in, in an article. It's like, tell me some new cases and are there any twists and turns that we should be aware of? Because Dave Jacobs and Bud Hopkins thought that the, the thing was always evolving. Bud thought it was evolving slower maybe than Dave did. But nonetheless, they saw ch seeming changes going on as time went on. And uh, I don't know whether that still still applies. No well, it, it sounds like they're taking a, a page right out of the, the government book with their... You know, their script of the same lines of information. Yeah, we really don't got nothing new. <laughs> Next thing I know, they'll be part of Arrow or something. Then we're in trouble. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let, let's not go there. <laughs> Just joking. Well, here's the thing with the government. And tell me if I'm wrong. I'm sure you understand the organization of this stuff better than I do. Um. But they're only going to be looking at military reports, correct? They don't look at civilian things. That has been the case, correct. That seems like they can limit their data. <laughs> very, very uh, easy to nitpick and, and uh, not do a very decent job of like investigating. We have no idea of the questions that are asked of the types of investigations that are done of their witnesses and to, to read their documents such as they've been. Like I said before, you, you wouldn't think that anybody except for military pilots was seeing UFOs. And that's, as I just indicated, with the numbers of sightings we're getting from UFON, which are all, but for a tiny percentage, probably uh, civilian cases. There's thousands of cases and they've been occurring for year after year after year. Thousands. And... We always get enough ones we can't explain. So, yeah, that's the. I, I wish they'd be a little more forthcoming. Arrow didn't even tell us out of the 800 cases that they supposedly have how many were unexplained versus the IFOs. And they, they came out with a graph, a pie chart. And are, are, is that pie chart of cases that are just the IFOs mixed in with the UFOs? In that case, it's worthless. So yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's extraordinarily frustrating <laughs> dealing with the government. It, yeah, it, you know, I just had a, a thought go into my head and then come right out on this. And then come um, on this. I, I don't know. I guess I know. it I must guess be getting late. <laughs> <laughs> but and we haven't even had anything to drink. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've had some uh, Gatorade Zero, yeah, not sponsoring the show, by the way, but uh, still variety. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just, 
I don't know. It just, it's just so aggravating because when when the government does something like that and they limit their data set, the general population doesn't understand how they are doing that. And then that muddies the water more because you have people that go, well, this guy with the government office says there's, there's no evidence of UFOs. And this guy over here with uh, NASA says uh, there's absolutely, and I'm proud to say that there's no evidence of UFOs or reverse engineering. And then you get all the people that come out. So that fuels these skeptics out there. And I understand I'm skeptical, but there's people that go like a step further when it comes to being skeptical that they, they, they're deniers is what they turn into. And they're even, and they're even purveying false information because of the fact that they don't have a background knowledge of the UFO subject. For example, Arrow said that most UFOs are seen at a height of something like 14,000 feet or more, and that the objects are usually uh, three to four meters in diameter or in the length of them. Well, well that, that's completely incorrect. Many, many objects are seen at treetop level, right above a person's car. Most UFO sightings don't occur at 14,000 feet. Very few of them. Sheep analyses and, and, and uh, proportions and sizes of these things over the years. Generally, it seems that most unexplained UFO sightings, the average size is it's about 30 feet in diameter when you see a discoidal object or an ovoid or a, you know, a circle. Uh, some of them are gigantic. Some of them are small. There's about three to four meters, three to five meters. Uh, no, sorry, not happening. I mean, they're wrong. They're just wrong. It's yeah. yeah. See, and that's where I have problems with, uh, um, yeah. oh, God, Mr. Bastard. And I don't think it, we're going to get anything from the government. The more they can hide it, the better. And you're just barking up. Uh, there might be something up the tree, but the, whatever's up the tree, you can bark at that tree all day long. It's not going to come down the tree. And, That's uh, fair. Uh, just look at the civilian sightings and, and, and make up. Let's, let's come to our conclusions from those, those sightings because they're really not much different from the military sightings. Yeah. They're just lower down yeah. <laughs> a lot of times. All right. Uh, Michelle, do you want to hit us up with the last couple of questions here as we start to wrap things up? Yep. Just wondering if you have any upcoming speaking engagements or appearance, appearances that you would like to tell the audience about. Well, the only, the only upcoming event I have is uh, uh, something called Mysteries of Space and Sky. It occurs in October uh, in, in Maryland, right outside of Annapolis. Yeah, what's the date on that thing? I'm not even 100% sure of the date, to be honest with you, but I believe it's around the 21st or so of, of October. But if you just search for Mysteries of Space and Sky online, you will see that, uh, that many times and, uh, and other people are, are, are appearing as well. So it's, uh, that's the only one I, I personally have on my docket. Well, then, the, the last question that I have to ask, do you have any personal ties to Michigan? It's our signature question. Uh, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. Uh-oh. Sightings you wanted? Yeah. Let me give you real quick here a Michigan update. Uh, oh. From, uh, from uh, January through, uh, through August, you guys uh, had on the uh, MUFON CMS system 97 events, uh, almost 100, and uh, five of those were deemed unknown. Some are still being worked on, I'm sure. So that's about a 
6%, 5% um, uh, unknown rate. Uh, let, let me give you real quickly here uh, of these, uh, yeah, five unknown sightings. Here, here, here you go. One occurred on May 4th in uh, Redford, Michigan at nine o'clock in the night. Uh, yeah, when you like this one, it was a triangle seen about a thousand feet high. It had perimeter lights going along, along uh, each of the three sides of the triangle. And it was uh, about, here we go, 30 to 100 feet in, in size. So the thing was not three to four meters. On 11 April, someplace called uh, Lathrop Village in Michigan mm -hmm. at 3 yep. p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, this was an, a, a kind of an interesting sighting. A person saw a 12-foot black ring 30 feet above uh above i don't know if it's a man or a woman also i'll just say him but it could be a woman ab above him uh i think it was two people actually and it had a, a weird corkscrew a type device the center of the object though there was no drawing so I, I can't further elaborate on that uh case number three uh 12 february from indian river michigan 4 yeah. 3 p.m in the afternoon uh and he an elongated shiny object was seen by a man uh, at some altitude, and it was emitting smoke, whether it was coming out as a contrail or as a uh, just smoke from the side of the thing. I don't know, and no drawing was provided. Uh, the investigator didn't seem to ask that question. Um, a cigar-shaped object, I believe the 12th of February was one of the days that the military shot down something over, was it over Lake Huron? I think that was the day. Mm -hmm. I didn't have time to go back yet and, and correlate that, but the witness said, it occurred that day, and he said, I thought I should report this sighting. Uh, case number four, 27 July, Scotts, Michigan, on 9.40 in the morning. Um, um, a fellow was out walking his dog. And we get so many, thank God people walk dogs. We get a lot of sightings during people walking, when people are walking dogs. A dull brown sphere flew by a mere two feet from the guy's head. It was about the size of a softball, and it was emitting a loud buzzing sound. At first, he thought it was a mosquito, and he, he sort of brushed it off his ear. He thought it was flying around his ear. Then he, he looked over, and he saw this, this brown object literally, like, almost hit him and then fly into a, a, grove, a, a grove of trees or woods and vanished. Um, the last one I have, uh, the last of the five unknowns, uh, 10 May in Dewitt, Michigan, at 11.20 in the night, uh, a, a bright white light, uh, a point of light, was seen moving up and down. And through binoculars, the witness said, I think it was a woman said, she, she thought it appeared to have wind. Was a judge to be unknown as well. Uh, uh, you so broke up five. right at, when you said the witness. Yeah, the witness uh, looked at the object in, in this last case through binoculars and thought to see or differentiate five windows in some kind of an object. Uh, I have no idea what the power of the binoculars was, and there wasn't a lot of write-up on this case, so I, I wish I could give you a little more on it. Uh, but but that's your quick your quick look at Michigan for uh, 2023. Wow. Those triangular cases, man, those are the ones that always perk up my ears because, man, the thing we saw was a, at least 300 feet on a side. It was huge. Never seen anything like that in aviation ever. Well, and Redford's not that far either. Yeah, and yeah, Dave Marler's your man for triangular UFOs. Yeah, but he sent us to you. 
well, maybe both of us. No, I'm just kidding. He, he's, he's, he's an excellent source. Excellent, excellent source. Let me give you again one, one more series of figures here, or maybe names. Just okay. give the list of so far this year. What are the most the states that have the most sightings in order? California, of course, large, large population, large state, 319 cases reported in MUFON. Florida, second, 257, 257. Texas, third, at 20, uh, at 213, 213. Arizona, 158 cases. And Pennsylvania rounds out the top five at uh, 140. Now, you guys are down there with, with 90, uh, 97 cases, but you're sort of in the middle of the pack in Michigan. Um, so that, that's how matters stand out with regard to uh, states. I did not do that for countries, but I could have. Maybe I should have. Yeah, that's real. You know, before we totally end this, I wanted to ask you, um, have you ever heard of people having these experiences and then waking up in the middle of the night or looking at a clock and it's always the same time? Because I've taken pictures of my phone where I've woken up in the middle of the night and it's been for I, I don't even know how long now three years four years it's been 333 hmm. and so I just wondered if, if that's like a common occurrence with people that have had really close experiences to my knowledge it's not a common a common experience where it appears in like one out of three or one out of two cases and I worked with a lot of abductees around the turn of the century for a sensor project we had going on but uh yeah there were times of the month when when it was more prevalent yeah, they were more likely to be abducted from others it varied individual by individual but it wouldn't surprise me if something like what you described has been reported by other people that's that sounds very believable okay, okay. i and wish guy, i could a case where it has but but i it, it sounds like i may have encountered that but it's, it's it sounds uh yeah, like that, that would be the kind of thing I would expect to hear someone say sooner or later. Yep. And just there's our super guy right there, Guy Merritt. <laughs> so, Guy, I know you uh, showed up after we uh, showed your winning t shirt and you're happy at Pine Knob enjoying the ZZ Top concert right there. So, wanted to make sure we got that back up there for you. All right. Well, Rob. It's been a great time and we've really enjoyed having you on the show and uh, man, just wealth of information there. Every time we talk to somebody from MUFON, we learn something new, whether it's Sev talk or Terry Lane Keel or our, our favorite guy, uh, uh, Bill Konkoleski right here from Michigan. And now it's awesome to add you to that mix and get your take on things. So we really do appreciate you coming on. It's been a pleasure. Believe me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm, and, and, and thanks for the questions, everybody. I appreciate those. And uh, we could keep going on here for hours, but I mean, we'll all have to go to sleep sooner or later. That's yeah. <laughs> but uh, th thanks for the opportunity and the privilege of being on the podcast tonight, Wayne and Michelle. It's been, it's just been great. Really fun. All right. Great. Good questions. Yep, yep, you are welcome. And anytime you want to come back on, just let us know. We'll set it up. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll be in touch with you. Okay, great. Okay, great. All right, everybody. That was awesome. We had Rob Switek on from MUFON. 
he is the one of the board members of MUFON. You guys had some great questions. Just uh amazing show tonight, even though we're we're running on fumes. You know so, what? And you know what starts on Sunday, right? No, what starts on Sunday? It's the month of October. Time for some uh, fairy stuff. Yep, we're going to go into the paranormal zone. However, in October, we will be having Micah Hanks come on. We're just figuring out the final date. So Micah Hanks is going to come on and talk with us and... Uh, Talk about a wealth of information there. What a what an awesome guy to talk to. So, all right, Michelle, I think it's that time. Have a great night, everyone. Have a great night, everybody. And remember, keep your eyes to that sky. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.